Luke 17:11-19 says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Thank you, Sarah. Due to the holidays, I am uh, taking a break from our Matthew 24 uh, end times uh, topic. I know some of you are very interested in that, and just hang in there. We'll pick back up on that sometime. I know we're getting into Christmas as well. Um, But it is Thanksgiving, and um, already hard to believe, isn't it? Um, It has felt like Christmas earlier this week, hasn't it, with the temperatures being what it is, what they've been, but I'm thankful for these warmer temperatures. Um, but Lord, the Lord has laid upon my heart two Thanksgiving messages. I'm only going to preach one today. Aren't you glad about that? Uh, next week I'll be giving the other message, but uh, today I want to talk about what Sarah was reading, and I believe the youth, did you all not study this on Wednesday night? I think this was the passage that the youth group studied on Wednesday. It's the parable, or, uh, or it's a story of the ten lepers. And I'll probably re- be referring to this at different times throughout the message. If you want to take your Bibles, it is in Luke 17. Luke chapter 17, we'll just reference this a few times as we go. But the title of the message today, going into this week of Thanksgiving, is Are You One of the Nine, or Are You One of the One? Are You One of the Nine, Or are you one of the one? You might understand what I'm trying to mean by that. But let me point out a few things about this passage that she just read. If you'll notice, the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. I've said that before. Many of you know that from studying scripture and just studying history. Uh, The two groups, uh, Jews and Samaritans, they would avoid each other at all cost. If a Jew was approaching a Samaritan town, they would not go into that town or through the town. They would go around it. They would go the long way around, but not Jesus. If you notice, it says here that in verse 11 that they passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Jesus does not care about race. He does not care about creed. He does not care about your background. He has no prejudices. And aren't you glad for that? Amen. Amen. Another thing that we can notice here is our main characters in our story are lepers. Now, I don't know if any of you have really seen pictures, but this might be just a little bit unpleasant, but there's a reason why I want to show you this. I have pictures of results of lepers. Hard to believe, isn't it? And it's just even hard to look at. Now, you're thinking, Pastor Brock, this is not a very uplifting message on you know, a couple days before Thanksgiving. Just hang in there with me. Leprosy is a disease that is caused by a bacteria called Mycobacterium leprae. Mycobacterium leprae. Skin lesions are the primary external symptom. 
And, you know, we read these stories about lepers in the Bible, and it's just almost as if they're not real. Uh, uh, but I can, assure, I can assure you leprosy is very real, as you can see there. It's amazing the results that leprosy can have on people's bodies. As you can see, if left untreated, it can cause permanent damage to the skin, the nerves deforming and even deteriorating limbs and eyes. Leper colonies were the mainstay, were a mainstay back in ancient days. Believe it or not, there are still leper colonies in the world today, mainly in third world countries where hygiene and water is of poor quality, and modern medicine does not exist. In 2012, there were still 180,000 reported cases of leprosy in the world. Back in 1995, 2 to 3 million people were estimated to have been permanently affected or deformed due to leprosy. A lot of these areas are in Brazil or India or Madagascar or Nepal, places like that. In ancient times and still today in those uh, far-off regions, lepers were considered the outcasts. They were considered uh, dirty, unclean. And they were demanded to stay several feet, several hundred feet away from the public. And if you'll notice what our passage says here in verse 12, we can see that. It says, Then as he entered a certain village, there met him two, ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. They had to. They were demanded. It was a law you could not get within a couple hundred feet of the leper colonies. When food was delivered to the lepers, the lepers had to leave their colony. A healthy person had to go into their colony, leave the food, and leave, and then the lepers were able to come back into their colony. If a healthy person was found um, talking or in the colony of the lepers, he could be punished for fear of taking that disease to the public. And if a leper was anywhere near the city or a healthy person, they had to shout, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine announcing your presence in public like that? Unclean. Lepers were considered the scum of the earth. Notice also something else here, that Jesus told them to go and present themselves to the priests. This was a standard practice in that day, for under Mosaic law, anyone who had leprosy or was um, wondering if they had leprosy, they had to go and present themselves to the priest. The priest acted like a doctor. The priest would examine them and see the little white spots on their hand or their arm or their leg or face or whatever it might be, and the priest would diagnose whether or not they indeed had leprosy. So they were used to doing this. When Jesus told them to go present themselves to the priest, that was probably something they had been doing, waiting for the priest to say, you're getting well, you're getting better, you can go back in a couple days or a couple weeks. So doing this was nothing unusual. But verse 14b tells us that as they went, they were healed, but only one came back. Why not the other nine? A passage where many 
scriptures or many sermons have been written over the years. Why did just one come back? They all had to have known that Jesus had something to do with their healing. For they said in verse 13, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. No doubt that the rumors of Jesus had spread. They knew that this miracle man was passing their way. They had to have known that he had something to do with their healing. So why did they not come back? It has to be that they forgot the one from whom they were healed, but not the one. Not the one person. This one leper shouting and praising God, falling on his face before Jesus, showed the true heart of thanksgiving. And notice one more thing. Verse 16 tells us what? He fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And also, by the way, he was a Samaritan. (laughs) When Jesus comes into our heart, he just breaks down all walls, doesn't he? He breaks down everything. Being grateful today, I believe, is a lost art, isn't it? Some of you from the older generation, you probably look at kids of today and You see how spoiled they have become and how ungrateful kids have become. And I would probably have to say you're right. We're coming into Christmas and it seems like kids today are more spoiled or more ungrateful than they've ever been before. Not only do we live in an ever-increasing entitlement society, our kids have picked up on that as well. I remember talking to my dad who was born back in the 30s, and he said he remembered as a kid, it wasn't always like this, but he remembered as a kid that he, it was a good Christmas when he got one toy, some candy, and a piece of fruit. That was the majority of his Christmas, and he was thankful for that. Hmm. Church, more than any other thing in life, li- listen to me, more than any other thing in this life, we need to remember what Jesus has done for us. Pretty basic, isn't it? Pretty basic. Those of you who know Christ, can you go back and try and remember your life, B.C.? Just stop there for a second. Those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, can you go back to the time when your life was B.C., before Christ? What was your life like? Boy, if I had time, I would love to just have Each of you come up here and just describe what your life was like before Christ. What was it like? Some of you may not like going back in time. Some of you may not like going back and remember and remembering some of those days. But folks, it's not always a bad thing to remember where we've come from so we won't go back to that. To remember what Christ has done for us. Why have I showed you these pictures of lepers this morning? Because on this day, just a few days away from sitting down at Thanksgiving meals around a table with your family and friends, I want to remind you what your heart and what my heart looked like B.C. You see, sin is a disease that affects every single person that has been born after Adam. 
It affects every part of the human soul. Leprosy is a powerful symbol reminding us of sin spread and its horrible consequences. You see, like leprosy, sin starts out small, but it can then spread, leading to other sins and causing greater damage to our relationship, causing damage to our relationship to God and others. Just like those with leprosy had to stay far off from society before Christ, we too were far off from God. How, not ironic, but how uh, providential, I guess I could say, that if you just look over in Luke chapter 16, look over in Luke chapter 16, Jesus gives the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and Lazarus. Starting with verse 19, let's just kind of read this story to refresh our minds. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Stop right there. I I have a feeling this beggar probably may have had leprosy. Could be. He had sores. One of the descriptions of leprosy. Verse 22. So it was that the beggar died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And here we are in verse 26. And besides all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Both men died, but Lazarus went to the paradise. He went to Abraham's side, his bosom, while the rich man went to Hades. And when the rich man begged Abraham to allow Lazarus just to dip the tip of his finger into water and to cool his tongue, Abraham said he could not because there is a great gulf fixed between the two. Church, sin has separated us, has separated mankind from God. There's a great gulf that has been fixed between us and God before Christ. Before Christ, we were not fit for anyone or anything. We were like the religious leaders that Jesus spoke against. He said they were like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they may look good. They may sound good. They may talk the talk. On the outside, they went to church. They went to synagogue all the time. They knew their scripture verses. But on the inside, they were like dead men's bones. And we all know that when something dies, it stinks. I remember, goodness, it's been a number of months ago. It might have been a year ago. I like to go out jogging. And um, I was going out Cherry Ridge jogging and out over the hill towards Weaver Appliance. And 
And I come up over this one hill and I, I caught that smell you know, of a dead animal. I thought, oh man, I hope this goes by quick. Because when you're jogging, you need to breathe and you need to suck in air real quick, okay? And every breath, that smell just got worse and worse. And I come up over this hill and there it was, right to the side, right over where I was going to be jogging. And I avoided it all at all costs. And I was going down the road like this with my hand or with my arm over my nose just trying to get through that part of the... Folks, let me, let me get you to understand that before Christ, that's how we were. That's how our hearts were. Doesn't matter how we looked on the outside. Doesn't matter how often we went to church. Doesn't matter how often we helped the poor. We, we gave our time to some benefiter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Romans, popular verse, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Oh, do we have something to be thankful for on Thursday. Amen. I believe next Sunday God's going to um, have me speak on some of those other things. But there is nothing more important than being grateful, trying to get your minds into that, for what your life was like before Christ. We forget, don't we? I know sometimes I forget. Those verses tell us that without Christ we are without hope. We are without help. And every single one of us, listen, every single one of us has a death sentence on our life. Has a death sentence on our life. Before Christ. In 1862, Washington, D.C., Early in the Civil War, there were a group of soldiers that uh, left their region, left their regiment, and, and, and they were off duty, but they went flying to the Treasury office, and they were in a panic, and they were looking for just some official to talk to. The Treasury office was the closest office to them. And they were in a frantic, and they were very anxious and could hardly calm down. Finally, an official came out from the Treasury office, and he asked them, what on earth is going on? What is the problem? these soldiers who were from Vermont. They finally told him that one of their soldier buddies named William Scott, he was stationed at Chambridge the night before he was on picket duty and he accidentally fell asleep. He was filling in for another guy who, who couldn't serve, so he said, I'll help you out. And while on picket duty, he was so exhausted that he fell asleep. And that offense could be punishable by death. At the time, in the Civil War, even on your own, your own side, the Union Army, that offense of just falling asleep at your post was punishable by death. And the next day, he was due to be shot. True story. This official at the Treasury Department, he looked at these soldiers and he said, man, I'm sorry, but there is nothing that I can do. But quote, these are his words, quote, there is only one man who can save your comrade. Fortunately, he is the best man on the continent. We will go see President Lincoln. 
this treasury official, along with the soldiers, they went over to the White House. Now, you have to understand, in those days, security was not like it is today. People were able to go into the White House and and get an audience with the president if he were available, if he had some free time. They had a main uh, quarters, a main lobby there where just your normal public could walk right in and walk right out. Can you imagine that today? Crazy, isn't it? Um, But at the time, they went to where President Lincoln was, and they burst into his office, and they told him the situation. They told him how great of a man that William Scott was, that he was honorable, he was trustworthy, and they asked the president if there was anything that he could do to save his life. And here is a man, William Scott, whose life was in the balance of one man's hands, President Lincoln. I'm going to ask you, do you remember the moment when you knew that your life of sin was going to lead to death? Do you remember that? Can you go back in your mind to that moment to where you realize that if you don't deal with something inside, it's going to kill you? Do you remember that moment when your life fell into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ? That wonderful moment. You know, certain moments stand out in our life. Some of you are old enough to remember the, Lincoln, uh, the, the Kennedy assassination. I don't think there's anyone in here old enough to remember the Lincoln assassination. If you are, I want to talk to you. <laughs> Some of you, uh, you, you remember the wonderful, glorious day of your wedding day. You remember the, the day that your children were born. Oh, I hope you remember. I hope you never forget the day that Jesus came into your heart. We have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? Back to our main characters, and I'm going to come back to our story, but back to our main characters. You don't have to turn there. But there is another passage in Matthew where Jesus runs into another colony of lepers, and here's the story. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Do you catch something very intriguing about that passage there? What Jesus did. Remember the lepers in the leper colonies, they had to stay hundreds of feet away from public. What did Jesus do? Jesus not only came near, he touched him. He touched that which was untouchable. That is what he has done for you and me, church. Jesus has touched you and me. That, that which sin caused God to turn his face away when his son was hanging on the cross Sin, God cannot stand to look at sin. And here he sent his son to touch us. Wow. What a glorious truth. I pray maybe somebody in here this morning, when they take a bite of turkey on Thursday, you'll have the thought in mind, he touched me. 
Jesus loved me enough to touch me whenever I was unworthy. Thank you, God. What a glorious truth that we can rehearse over and over and over again in our hearts and minds every day. And that's why the title of my message is, Are You Going to Be One of the Nine or Are You Going to Be One of the One? The one that came back, that remembered what Jesus did and he wanted to thank the one. May we never forget Romans 5 8 says that yet while we were sinners, Christ died for you and me. While the spiritual leprosy of sin deformed us and made us ugly, while we were lost in our sins, while we were struggling around in the muck and the mire of sin, while we had the blackness and the ugliness of sin all over us, Christ died for us. Christ touched us. Praise God. Psalm 42. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. It's because that Jesus was willing to touch you. Now, okay, let me just pause here. There are some of you that might be here this morning that might be saying to yourself, I'm really not a bad person. You know, I've tried to live a good life most of my life. I don't know why he's describing, you know, my life like a leper. I wasn't anything like that. The Bible says, you have sinned and you have fallen short of the glory of God. And until we see our lives for what it really is or what they were, we'll never be changed. Folks, may we never forget. Dick talked about this morning, I believe, in his prayer. May we never forget. May we never get over our salvation. Never forget. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross that some of our songs have been written. For he pardoned my transgressions, sanctified my soul. I'm redeemed from the darkness of the night. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Years I spent in vanity and pride, but mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there multiplied to me. There my bold burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Chain breaker, heart savior, Jesus the great redeemer, life changer, liberator, Jesus the great redeemer. Oh, what a wonderful day, day that I will never forget. A day when heaven came down and glory filled my soul. The Lord raised me, the Lord raised me. When light had fled and hope was dead, the Lord raised me. I can go on. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. When Jesus washed my sins away. He made me happy every day. To live rejoicing every day. Oh, happy day. Happy day. Have you forgotten the happy day? I'm here this morning. God, I believe, wants me to remind you and remind me of what we really have to be thankful for. Romans 8, the last part of Romans chapter 8, tells us that basically if everything is taken away from us, everything that happens to us, troubles and trials and tribulations and... All those things happen to us and everything is taken away. We still can't, the love of God still will not be taken away from our life. Amen? Amen. The love of Jesus Christ, the price that he paid for us will still be intact. 
For I have found a friend who is all to me. His love is ever true. For I'm saved, saved, saved. Life was shattered and hope was gone, crushing the load that I bore. But I found something more than my yesterdays, more than I had before, something more than wealth or fame, for he gave me something worth living for. Thank you, God. Back to 1862, Washington, D.C. President Lincoln, he told these soldiers and he told the official, quote, what do you want me to do? I have not much influence with the war departments. See, Lincoln knew that many of the generals in the army thought it was a good policy to occasionally shoot soldiers for their election of duty like that. And he knew that he would have a hard time getting William Scott freed. But Lincoln went on to say this, quote, I do not think an honest, brave soldier, conscious of no crime but sleeping, when he was weary, ought to be shot or hung. The country has better uses for him. President Lincoln immediately left his office and he went over to Chambridge to see and find William Scott. That same night, President Lincoln showed up at Chambridge where William Scott was waiting his execution. Can you imagine the look on William Scott's face (laughs) when President Lincoln showed up? William Scott said that President Lincoln was the kindest man that he had ever met in his entire life. Lincoln talked to him about his family. He talked to him about his friends. He talked about where he was born. He talked about where he went to school. He did not even bring up the subject of execution the next day. So William Scott brought it up. But this is what William Scott brought up. He asked the president. He said, I just have one request. If you could make sure of one thing, make sure that the firing squad is not from my regiment from Vermont. Just then the president made Scott stand up and look at him in the face and he said this, Boy, you are not going to be shot tomorrow. I believe you when you said you could not stay awake. I'm going to trust you and send you back to your regiment. Good story, isn't it? Feel good story. True story. You see, Scott has been offered, had been offered a pardon. And how do you think he felt? How do you think you would have felt? Put yourself in his shoes then I ask you the question, do you remember when Jesus pardoned your soul? (laughs) See, that's that's why there's a deep, the, the love of God, the testimony that we have in Jesus goes deep. things of life. Don't touch it. There are times whenever I may be uh, going through a difficult time, whatever it might be, I'm kind of low, wow, wow, wow. But, they're also, but when that time comes, those times come, I also think back to my salvation and it always brings a smile to my face because nothing can touch that. Yeah. 
Do you remember how you felt when you discovered that Jesus paid for your sins and all you had to do was accept the free gift of faith? Church, out of all the things we had to be thankful for, none is greater than this. May we be one of the one and go back to our Lord and Savior this morning and thank Him. Let me try and end this this morning. I could just stop right there. Hopefully I've aroused the truth inside of you that we need to be thankful for the price that Jesus paid. But is it enough? Is it enough just to be thankful? How should we live our lives? Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord We need to start making it a priority every day in our lives to pause and remember. Boy, it's so easy to say here from behind the pulpit. But to do it, God help us to do that. To be thankful for the new heart that we have, the new life that we've been given, the eternal life in Jesus Christ. There's still just a little bit more to our story to tell. When we last left, the president had just given... William Scott a pardon. But before he left, he asked William Scott a tough question. This is what he asked him. As you know, many of you know that Lincoln used to be an attorney, used to be a lawyer before he was president. And Lincoln kind of used that to ask this question. Quote, I've gone through an awful lot of trouble for you, I had to come up here from Washington just for you and still have much work to do. What I want to know is, how are you going to pay my bill? Now, at first you might say, well, that's kind of cold, isn't it? Why would the president say something like that? Scott did not know what to say. Hmm. He began to stammer a little bit with his words and trying desperately to think, how on earth can I pay this bill, the bill of a former attorney, that the bill was pretty high. He began to talk about, well, there's a bounty in the savings bank that I can try and get out. Maybe I can borrow some money from the mortgage on my farm. He said, there was my pay from the military. He said, if you can just wait until payday, I can try and pay you. Trying to come up with any way to come up with money. And and Lincoln said this, He said, ah, but it is a great deal more than that. Lincoln finally let him off the hook, and this is what he said to William Scott. He said, if from this day William Scott does his duty so that if I was there when he comes to die, he can look me in the face as he does now and say, I have kept my promise, and I have done my duty as a soldier then my debt will be paid. Will you make that promise and try and keep it? William Scott said he made that promise, and with God's help, he would keep it. Now now listen to this. You can tell that Scott was truly a changed man, and you can see the parallels of William Scott and the parallels with our life in Christ said that after William Scott was pardoned, he went back to his regiment. And here's some of the things that was said about him. 
He was gaining a wonderful reputation as an athlete. He was the strongest man in the regiment. And the regiment was engaged in two or three reconnaissances and force in which he performed the most exposed service with singular bravery. If any man was in trouble, Scott was his good Samaritan. If any soldier was sick, Scott was his nurse. He was ready to volunteer for any extra service or labor. He had done some difficult and useful scouting. He still refused promotion, saying he had done nothing worthy of it. The final result was that he was the general favorite of all his comrades, the most popular man in the regiment, modest, unassuming, unspoiled by his success. About a year or so later, on April 15th, the division of General Smith, of which Scott was a part of, he ordered that their regiment stop the enemy's work on the entrenchments at Lee's Mill, the strongest position on the Warwick River. About noon, General McClellan, with his staff, including the French princes, came upon the scene and ordered General Smith and his men to assault and capture the rebel the rebel works on the opposite bank. Every member of these four companies was a brave man, but all the eyewitnesses agree that among those who in this, who was in this, their first hard-fought battle faced death without blanching, there was none braver or more efficient than William Scott of Company K, debtor for his own life to President Lincoln. He was almost the first to reach the south bank of the river, the first in the rifle pits, and the last to retreat. He recrossed the river with a wounded officer on his back, carried him to a place of safety, and returned to assist his comrades. As he was returning, the rebels concentrated their fire upon him, and he began to take several shots. And he staggered back with the person on his back. They were able to get William Scott off to a tent and to a little makeshift hospital. And this is what William Scott said as he laid there dying. He said, I wish you would tell President Lincoln that I have never forgotten the kind words that he said to me at the Chambridge, that I have tried to be a good soldier and true to the flag, that I should have paid my whole debt to him if I had lived, and that now when I know that I am dying, I think of his kind face and I thank him because he gave me the chance to fall like a soldier in battle. William Scott died shortly thereafter. There's one more piece of this story I have to tell you as I close. His company in the field where he was shot, there were several cherry trees. There was a grove of cherry trees. And right in the middle of the cherry tree was a huge oak tree, and they buried William Scott there at the base of that oak tree. And there was one thing in the book that I have that gives this account. You know what it said? It says that they buried William Scott with his rifle that was empty. His rifle that was empty. Signifying that he had nothing left to give. He died having given his all. He was so thankful to President Lincoln for saving his life 
that he gave his life out of gratitude. Church. May we always be thankful for the one man who could do anything about it. The one man, the only man that could save us. Let's be one of the one this morning. But let's not stop there. Let's just not thank him. May we, like William Scott, devote the rest of our lives showing how grateful we are for this man named Jesus who was willing to touch us. Touch us. This man named Jesus who was willing to pardon us. May there be, at the end of our life, may it be said that there were no bullets in our life to give. We've given it all. And we pay back by giving our all. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads, please? Dick, Carrie, I want to have you come on up again. And I just really want to end by singing that song that we sang earlier. Mm. Maybe there's someone in here this morning that you have forgotten the price that Jesus paid, and it's been a while since you've just thanked him for nothing but salvation. Maybe there's some of you in here that you've accepted his salvation, but you're not living your life in full gratitude. Maybe there's still bullets in your rifle. (laughs) Maybe there's more that you know you need to do. It's not enough what you're doing and God is speaking to you saying, hey, it's time to get in the battle. It's time to give me your all. Maybe there's someone here this morning that you've not accepted this free gift. I'm here to tell you that until Jesus Christ comes into your life, you're lost. Your heart is like leprosy. It's like, a, it's like a disease and you'll never get over it. You'll always be running. You'll never be content. You'll always have something. There'll always be a hole in your heart. Oh, there's things to be thankful for, but the one and main thing is Jesus Christ and you can't say that. Maybe you're here this morning. Today could be the day. Today could be the day. Jesus Christ can come into your heart and you can be thankful for that. Father God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Hmm. Thank you for the price. Thank you, God. As this song says, you saw me in my need. You paid the price for me, and through your love I have been set free. Now I am not the same. You took my sin and shame. And forever I will bless your holy name. Father, this morning we say thank you. Lord, if there's anyone here that has not accepted your free gift of salvation, God, I pray that you would speak to them. I pray that this morning would be the time, Lord, they can come down to this altar and find you. They can find you where they're at. But God, this altar is a place of consecration. It's a a place of commitment. It it helps solidify. uh, But God, I pray that you'd speak to all of us this morning where we're at. Lord, we will thank you for what you've done. And God, in a couple of days when we are with family or friends or whatever atmosphere that we're in, we're enjoying the bountiful blessings that you have given us. May we stop and thank you for Jesus, the greatest gift of all. We thank you that it's because through you we have eternal life. 
We thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.